The last issue of Port considered the future of the printed magazine, talking to the editors of long-standing publications like the New York Times magazine and Vanity Fair. Magazines today are coming to terms with how print and digital complement one another. But in the online world, is the role of the editor under threat? Do we now live in an alga world, shaped by the intelligence of anonymous processes rather than the emotional decisions of humans? Will algorithms play a role in how we write and consume news? When I was a kid and they were teaching us math, they said, yeah, well, you know, math is everywhere. And, and we would say, yeah, like where exactly? And, and they'd say, well, it's like the physics of buildings, like architects have to use it. And we understood that. And it made sense if you were trying to get something to the moon. But I think that fundamentally you would have a hard time not finding math in everyday life at this point because so much of where we go and how we get there and what happens to our bank account and what happens to the global economy and what happens to books and movies and so on is ultimately mathematically determined by a series of instructions that are computational that really profoundly affect uh, our everyday life without leaving a byline or a signature. Uh, I'm Kevin Slavin. I'm the, an assistant professor and the founder of the Playful Systems Lab at the MIT Media Lab in Cambridge, Massachusetts. If you're writing something and you need uh, and you and you want many people to read it, you're no longer necessarily optimizing for a human reader. This is really a strange idea. Somebody at the Huffington Post was talking about what it takes to build the kind of media empire that is the Huffington Post. And they talked about writing and testing uh, different headlines. And so one of them was Michael Jackson dies and one of them was Michael Jackson death. And it turned out that Michael Jackson death uh, indexes much, much, much higher uh, against algorithms at that time. And so that was the headline that they ran with. So they're no longer using conventional English grammar. They're no longer using the traditional mode of communication from a human to a human, although it is a human writing it, and although it is a human reading it. There's something that happens in the middle, which has to do with the priorities that algorithms take in terms of how the information is distributed. And this is a fundamental shift in what news is, does, and means. There are now companies producing things entirely algorithmically. Companies like Narrative Science in Chicago, and Narrative Science are a group of AI folks who have done a very good job of producing algorithms that can kind of write the news. They're provided with enough data, and there are certain types of stories that produce a lot of data, like sports stories, or weather stories, or financial stories. If you just take the data and you feed it in to a bunch of algorithms that the narrative science guys have, they can write actually very convincing copy in about two and a half seconds. Have you been looking for a solution to tame the social web? So have we. Since we didn't find the right one, 
we decided to build The motivation for us to, to develop Tame is the big importance of algorithms when it comes to the distribution of news. My name is Frederick Fischer. I'm the CEO and founder of Tame. Tame is analyzing all the tweets. So at a glance, you see really the most relevant things that popped up in your timeline and that your network is talking about. Who might be the next expert or source you might want to follow or engage with? Social media totally changed the way news is distributed because it kind of separated the content from the news brands. Everything is coming together in social media. But the problem for us is that we don't understand what the algorithms in the background deem valuable and relevant. Because if you look at the algorithms of Google and of Twitter and of Facebook, they are not working for you, they're working for ad clients. The, the ad clients are paying their bills. So the, the, the ad clients have to be happy with the, uh, with the algorithms they produce more than the actual audience and the readers. And we thought this uh, is not a very uh, healthy and sustainable state. So what we want to do with TAME is apply journalistic standards on algorithms for news distribution. It's just a different game now. The, the power has shifted from the editors to the developers and to the big companies. I think algorithms radically change the job descriptions of journalists. Journalists mostly understood themselves as content producers. And I think producing content is just not good enough anymore. Everyone's producing content and a lot of people actually producing outstanding content that can uh, uh, compete with uh, uh, most of the journalistic work out there. Um, I think journalists really have to focus on what they, on the added value that they bring to societies. That they are excellent when it comes to fact-checking, when it comes to critical thinking, uh, when it comes to telling a story rather than just putting out uh, content. And obviously also uh, doing this really uh, extremely time-consuming investigative journalism. Everything that is not really uh, a part of that, uh, I think, will have a hard time. So if you're just producing disposable content, you will disappear from the journalistic landscape. I'm Luke Lewis and I'm the UK editor of BuzzFeed. We're sat on top of BuzzFeed's London office in Clerkenwell. There was, there was a point a few years ago where, for web editors like me, it did look like algorithms were going to put us out of a job, or at least make our jobs much more boring. In the mid-noughties, it was all about SEO and like cramming your articles with keywords so that they would appear at the top of Google search results. Everyone was playing that game, and it became quite tedious because you were writing articles to be read by machines. When we write an article, we think about who is going to share it, who's going to distribute it. You know, thinking about things that will play well on Facebook, things will play well on Twitter, and increasingly Pinterest as well. And there are certain things that key into those different platforms. This TV program they saw when they were a teenager they'd completely forgotten about. Classically, nostalgia is, is massive. That's one of the great triggers for social sharing. You know, we've gone through maybe a decade of things being dominated by Google's search algorithm and now we're kind of coming out of that and it's becoming a more human thing of human beings talking to human beings and, and the editor has that really old-fashioned role that he or she always had which is just selecting interesting delightful things for their readers.
am sitting in the morning at the diner on the corner. I am waiting at the counter for the man to pour the coffee. There's sort of two options about how algorithms get constructed. Both options are a bit scary. The first option is, is that they're written by a human and that they really reflect a specific set of biases and ideologies and that those have somehow been turned into math. When Carl Heinz Brandenburg was making MP3 algorithms to compress music, they were sort of going in a certain direction. And then he heard Suzanne Vega uh, coming from down the hall. And he actually rewrote a whole bunch of the MP3 compression algorithms in order to accommodate Suzanne Vega's voice. Up the paper, there's a story of an actor who had died while he was drinking. It was no one I had heard of, and I'm turning to the Carl Heinz Brandenburg didn't like Suzanne Vega. In fact, that type of music wouldn't sound as good uh, with MP3 uh, compression algorithms. So one scary thing is, is that these algorithms, which always just arrive as pure logic and pure math, are in fact someone's idea of the world. And that's kind of scary. But it's nowhere near as scary as algorithms that don't have anybody in there. That's the other option. And that is an increasing number of algorithms. They're what are called genetic algorithms that don't have an author and they don't have a supervisor and they don't have any sort of adult supervision. They just have a what they call a fitness test. They say, um, we need to design a, uh, a car that has less wind resistance. We don't really have any ideas about how to do that, but we're going to throw this many variables in and the algorithm will spit something out. And the, the problem with that is, is that it can never explain why. It can never explain how it arrived at that because it doesn't have an idea in there. You can't call up Carl Heinz Brandenburg and say, so how come it's doing this? And he says, well, it's because of Suzanne Vega. There's no longer anybody to call. It's an answer without an explanation and explanations turn out to be what humans really need to make meaning out of the world.